0: Well, there are lots of theories about what makes a good leader. You can find volumes about this topic in any bookstore or online. And there are also lots of theories about what makes a good church leader. You can pick from numerous seminars or attend a diocesan workshop. But there is an especially good description of good leadership that we find in the Bible although it is often overlooked. It's in the passage from Judges that we just heard. As I come to the end of my time as a leader, at least one who gets paid for it, I am more convinced that this Old Testament lesson is an important one for any of us in church leadership. Now, before I go any further, I want to make it clear That the Old Testament lesson for this morning is talking about priests, although a form of priesthood that would seem strange and barbaric to us today. But I am convinced that this description could also be applied to any kind of a church leader. So, lest any lay ministers or deacons here this morning think that I am only talking about presbyters. I want you to simply substitute your own order of ministry whenever the word priest appears. The scene is the entry of the people of Israel into the promised land after their long exile in Egypt. The Jordan River is the last barrier they have to cross. Now, those of you who have been to the Holy Land and have seen this river know that it is not exactly a formidable formidable body of water. It is not, as the old song says, deep and wide. Still, it would have been a major task to get a large herd of goats, sheep, and cattle across it, as well as the infirm and small children. God gives pretty clear instructions as to how the priest— remember, now, priest here equates with church ministers— Are to accomplish this. They are to do three things stand in the river, hold up the ark, and make sure everyone gets safely across. These are commands rich in meaning for those of us who have charge of the church. It almost has the ring of an African American spiritual stand in the Jordan, hold up the ark, make sure everyone gets over put your toe in the water and the rivers will part that's what the good book says let's start with standing in the river being a church leader requires getting your feet wet it means a willingness to enter into the same trials and tribulations as our parishioners it means a, it means to use a term that many of you learned in seminary practicing a ministry of presence Now, most of us do a pretty good job being available to those in our congregations who might be in the hospital or in some life crisis, although we could all do better, I suspect. I will confess to you that, personally, one of my biggest regrets is that the duties of my office have too often kept me from being present with you as much as I would have liked. I'm supposed to be the chief pastor of the diocese, But with all the other obligations of this office, that role has sometimes taken a back seat. And I think that all of us could also do a better job identifying with the larger communities that we serve. Do the folks at the grocery store or the post office or the high school know who we are? Are we part of our common civic life? It's a powerful statement when we go to those town meetings or city council meetings. It's good for us to be members of the Rotary Club or Kiwanis or Scouts. If we are to witness to the world, we need to remember that we are called not just to serve those on our membership rosters. We also have a prophetic role to advocate for those we serve, to speak truth to power, to resist in solidarity with them the powers that oppress them. That was made clear this past weekend as many of you marched with our nation's young people against gun violence. We have to get out of our studies and onto the streets. You've all heard my favorite quote from Pope Francis before, who said, I prefer a church which is bruised, hurting, and dirty because it has been out on the streets, rather than a church which is unhealthy from being confined, from clinging to its own security. But even as we stand in the river, we must also not forget to hold up the gospel. The priests at the Jordan held up the ark, the sign of God's presence with God's people. Jesus is that ark for us, And we can never forget that it is Jesus that is the reason for everything we do. We're not just another social service agency or an antiquarian society or a nice social venue, a nice place to go before brunch, as one parishioner told me. If the church can't speak of Jesus, it has nothing to say. As both lay and clergy leaders, we are charged with holding up the gospel for all to see. We are the ones who must ask those hard questions at vestry meetings, such as, do all of our programs and activities point to Jesus or to ourselves? Does our worship glorify God, or it is all about preserving a tradition? Does our preaching challenge people? Or merely justify their pet peeves and prejudices? Do we really welcome all people into our fellowship or just people who look like us? Whether we are standing at the pulpit or visiting the sick, caring for children, we are all called to hold up the ark, to be proclaimers and preachers of the gospel of Jesus. God positioned the priests in the Jordan carefully. They were to bring up the rear. Their job was to make sure that everyone got across the river safely before they did. And this is another important reminder to us, that although we have a special place in the institution of the church, we are the servants of the servants of God. A vestry member cynically remarked to me not long ago, Bishop, I know what the real mission of the church is. It's to pay the salary of the priest. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. But we all get stuck at that level sometimes, don't we? We all get so caught up in the details of institutional life that much of our time and energy is devoted to taking care of the corporate needs of our parishes. We forget that the needs of those we serve come first. There's a famous motto that I think comes from the Marine Corps officers eat last. And that's the way it should be with us as church leaders. We stand in the waters, we hold up the ark until the very last person is cared for and safe. So there you have it. What makes a good church leader according to the Old Testament? By standing in the swiftly flowing waters of life, by holding up the gospel, by putting others before us, we fulfill a threefold description. We serve as prophets, preachers, and pastors. But there's something missing from this description And I don't want to quit without touching on it. The book of Joshua gives us a marvelous image of what we are supposed to do. But it doesn't say anything about who we are. It doesn't mention that standing in the river, holding up the ark, and shepherding the flock is hard work, which results in cold feet, weary arms, aching backs, and short tempers. In other words, it doesn't acknowledge our vulnerabilities, our weakness, our moments of despair, and our failures. Garrison Keillor once remarked that he never got invited to give high school graduation speeches. He figured that was because his message to those starting out in life would not be you can do anything you want. You are invincible. You have the world by the tail. He would instead tell them that sometime in your life you are going to fail and you will fail spectacularly. We all work hard to do our jobs the best we can. But we will, if we have not already, crash and burn. Maybe it will take getting fired or our marriage breaking up, or facing a life-threatening illness. We'll all come to that moment when we realize that not only do our feet get cold standing in the waters of the Jordan, but that our feet are made of clay like everyone else's, and that only by the grace of the love of God can we do what we do. So I would like to close with a poem I found when I was thinking about this sermon. Just like the Old Testament lesson It addresses the question, what do the ministers of the church do? But it goes further, because it also asks, what should church leaders be? The title of the poem is, What Should a Priest Be? But the description is one that applies in part, at least to all of us. As we renew our promises to be the leaders of the people of God, it again reminds us Of what God has asked us to do, of the ministry to which we are called, a life at once mysterious, agonizing, sometimes tedious, but always miraculous. Priestly Duties, a poem by Stuart Henderson. What should a priest be? All things to all, male, female, and genderless. What should a priest be? Reverent and relaxed, vibrant in youth, assured through the middle years, divine sage when aging. What should a priest be? Accessible and incorruptible, abstemious yet full of celebration, Informed, but not threateningly so, and far above the passing souffle of fashion. What should a priest be? An authority on singleness. Solomon-like on the labyrinth of human sexuality. Excellent with young marrieds, old marrieds, were marrieds, never marrieds, shouldn't have married, those who live together, those who live apart, and those who don't live anywhere. Respectfully mindful of senior citizens and war veterans, familiar with the ravages of arthritis, osteoporosis, postpartum depression, anorexia, whooping cough, and nits. What should a priest be? An all round family person, counselor, but not officially because of recent changes in legislation. Teacher, expositor, confessor, entertainer, juggler, good with children and possibly sea lions, empathic towards pressure groups. What should a priest be? On nodding terms with Freud, Jung, St. John of the Cross... The Pew Foundation, the rave culture, the internet, the lottery, PBS, and Jimmy Kimmel. Pre-modern, fairly modern, post-modern, and ideally secondary modern, if called to the inner city. What should a priest be? Charismatic, if needs must, but quietly so. Evangelical, and thoroughly meditative. Mystical, but not New Age. Liberal, and so open to other voices. Traditionalist, reformer, and revolutionary, and hopefully not on medication unless for an old sporting injury. <laughs> Note to congregations if your priest actually fulfills all of the above and then enters the pulpit one Sunday morning wearing nothing but a shower cap. A fez and declares, I'm the king and queen of Venus, and we shall now sing the next hymn in Latvian, take your partners, please. Let it pass. Like you and I, they too sow the thin thread of humanity. Remember Jesus in the garden, beside himself. What does a priest do? Mostly stays awake at deanery meetings, tries not to annoy the bishop too much, visits hospices, administers comfort, conducts weddings, christenings, not necessarily in that order, takes funerals, consecrates the elderly to the grave, buries children and babies, feels completely helpless beside the swaying family of a suicide sometimes is murdered at night alone. What does a priest do? Tries to color in God, uses words to explain miracles, which is like teaching a centipede to sing, but even more difficult. What does a priest do? Answers the phone when sometimes they'd rather not. Occasionally errs and strays into tabloid titillation, prays with dismay for state and local government. What does a priest do? Tends the flock through time, oil, and incense. Would secretly like each vestry meeting to commence with a mud pie-making contest. Sometimes falls asleep when praying. Yearns like us for heart-rushing deliverance. What does a priest do? Has fights with her family. Wants to inhale heaven. Stares at bluebells. Attempts to convey the mad love of God. Would like to skate with crocodiles and hear the roses when they pray. How should a priest live? How should we live? As priests, transformed by the priest that death prized open so that he could be our priest, martyred, diaphanous, and matchless priest. What should a priest be? What should a priest do? How should a priest live?